Welcome to the Health Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Dr. Rogelio Ralzola, a PhD in health, exercise, and sports science, a strength coach with over a decade of experience in personal, collegiate, and professional settings, and a sports scientist whose main goal is to use testing and data to maximize your health and performance. And I'm Brooke West, holistic registered dietitian, practicing the perfect combination of a functional nutrition, science-based root cause approach, and hippie magic, with areas of expertise in women's health and hormones, gut health, and micronutrient balance. We believe that health is multifaceted, but not as complicated as others make it seem. Our mission is to share what works and what's BS in the health industry, all while having a good time doing it. Expect us to share everything from new research to tried and true health philosophies to alternative health therapies and the occasional controversial topic. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Snack Time with Dr. Rowe. So um, as we talked about in the first episode coming back, um, we're really trying to have uh, smaller episodes as well in the weeks between our um, big episodes. So um, this will be kind of, you know, weird topics or something that kind of pops into our heads and we're like, oh, we can talk about that pretty easily or or maybe it's really interesting because I don't really think that this topic I'm talking about today is necessarily easy. But um, it will be different because it'll just be me or it'll be just Brooke. Um, so I won't have anyone to riff off of. But I talk to myself most days, so I don't think this will be um, an issue, but it definitely makes me feel like I'm just another guy with the podcast who likes to hear himself talk. But um, yeah, but I hope that uh, this is something we continue with and something that um, our listeners like. And if you ever, if you get through this episode and you're like, wow, I want more of that, let us know if there's some small tidbit episode that you would like us to uh, talk about. But Welcome. Thank you for being here for the first snack time. Um, and let's get uh, let's get right into it. So um, what I want to talk about today is uh, photobiomodulation, uh, which is really the nerd way of saying infrared or red light therapy. I think that um, it's, it's grown a lot in its, um, I guess, in its use in the past like five, 10 years. Um, to the point where if you go to like a PT clinic, you may see an infrared light um, in a lot of sports settings. Um, some that I've been in, you you know, you see like it's almost like a tanning bed where it's just uh, a bunch of red lights that are put on people. And then um, infrared saunas have become huge because I think they're generally less expensive over time um, and they're easier to build than, you know, having hot coals or a coal machine or a fake coal machine that's going to make a room nice and hot. So um, I think that it was, you know, it's pretty appropriate to, to talk about because it is kind of all over the place. But um, I want to talk about like how photobiomodulation works a little bit um, and then kind of get into what the science is saying and my take on it. So first, shout out to Dr. Flavio Magalais. He was a uh, he, he was someone who's really transformative during my PhD. He was a visiting professor um, and then was on my committee for my dissertation. Um, he's done a lot of research in uh, PBMs and infrared, uh, mostly in mice. But, you know, I was like, wow, this stuff is so cool. And I can't believe it's being studied. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, so shout out to you. Uh, hope you're doing well. Hope Brazil is treating you well. Um, 
But I want to talk about how it works. So it's funny because I almost think of us as like plants, right? In that we're reacting to light. And I know that we all know that sunlight is good for plants. Sunlight is good for us. But I want to talk more specifically about how infrared acts on um, kind of our at the cellular level to allow for these proposed benefits to to happen. So everyone, whether you're in the car, in bed, wherever you are, say it with me. The mitochondria is dot, 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 the powerhouse of the cell, right? Uh, we know that and we say that because it's where majority of our ATP, uh, adenosine triphosphate, um, is created and that gives us the energy to do things. Well, within the mitochondria, if you remember in third grade or maybe college or whenever you read a physiology book, um, we have the electron transport chain, which is responsible for making the most amount of ATP um, for energy. Uh, and the way it does this is, you know, it's, it's essentially pulling along uh, electrons um, so that we have hydrogens uh, being pushed against a gradient outside of the set cytoplasm and then being rushed back in through something called an ATP synthase or an ATPase um, that allows for uh, ATP to be created via ADP being phosphorylized to ATP. doesn't matter too much, right? Um, but the way infrared is proposed to work is that light, this infrared light, will pierce through the skin, um, through the cell membrane, and will act on a specific subunit of the electron transport chain. Um, and I think it's cytochrome C oxidase specifically. So if we're going to increase what might be uh, step three or four of an electron bouncing around, then, you know, you might start to think like, oh, okay, well, the thing that creates more energy is being energized more. We should be able to then create even more energy, right? Um, Sorry for saying energy three times within the same sentence, but um, because it, you know, is a part of the ETC, um, it may help with the creation of ATP, um, or at least the increase in the creation of ATP because it is allowing for more hydrogen to be pumped through um, and kind of helping those electrons continue to bounce uh, through the electron transport chain. But Importantly, when this cytochrome C is activated, um, it can also lead to the generation of reactive oxygen species. Um, and I think a lot of us, when we hear ROS or reactive oxygen species, will be like, oh, that's inflammation, right? And that's true, right? Uh, if we have too much ROS, you can be in an inflamed state, you can get sick. Um, but as we've talked about in this podcast a lot, uh, ROS is, and, and inflammation is necessary. It's part of our healing process and part of really a lot of other processes. Um, but when we increase ROS through this activation of cytochrome C through the use of red light, um, what we can essentially do is activate certain transcription factors that may act as an exercise mimetic. And an exercise mimetic is a fancy way of saying, you know, something that's going to mimic exercise. So as you do cardio, right, your mitochondria are doing work, more ATP is being used, you're increasing ROS, but can we stick light on our skin and allow for that same thing to happen? Um, and because we're creating more ATP, right, we're also getting 
this influx of additional processes like AMP kinase that might help with energy regulation, um, increases in NFKB, which may help with uh, muscle regeneration after you've been hurt or after an intense training session, um, HIF-1-alpha, which helps with um, adaptations uh, that are primarily like cardiovascular, and then mTOR, which, you know, if you've listened to this podcast enough, you know, is our our big muscle building um, protein, I suppose. I'm, talk- I'm talking in a lot of theoreticals, right? Because a lot of the studies have been done on cells, have been done on rats, um, and have only recently been done on uh, humans. And, you know, these this all sounds like really great in practice, um, but it's important to understand that, like, the research is limited, and, and we'll talk about that uh, here in a bit. So my initial take, right, when I hear people saying, like, yeah, you know, I use infrared, I feel great, it really helps my recovery, um, whether I'm shining it in my face or, you know, using it in my ass for, like, perennial tanning or whatever, like, I'm automatically skeptical. Um it also makes me think of Austin Powers when Dr. Evil's like, I want trucks with freaking laser beams, right? Um, but Frill, it seems kind of like a sham. Um, and my initial thought is to not put too much stock in it because of a lack of research and a lack of um, use on humans, especially, you know, over time. But, you know, see what the research says. Um I think importantly, when we think about red light therapy, we have to understand that there's a lot of different ways to have this red light therapy. So you have low-level laser therapy, LLLT, anyway, LLLT. You have near-infrared therapy, which is NIR. You have light-emitting diodes, which is LED, and then you have single lasers. Now... If you read the research, um, every review is going to say, hey, there is no uh, set parameter for what kind of lasers to use, um, which ones are a bit more effective. Um, Actually, I lied about that one. I think near-infrared tends to be more effective than um, low-level laser therapy, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, But generally, there's just like, you know, this... Uh, I guess, air about it all that we're not sure how to prescribe this in a way that is effective and which light to use most of the time. Um, so that being said, the research is, well, there are some positives and then there are some not so positives. And when I say not so positives, I don't mean that there are negatives, but I just mean that like it doesn't seem to have any sort of positive effect. Um, And part of this also lies in how they do the damage. So in rats, right, sometimes they'll uh, cut their, essentially their leg, uh, and they'll get this like frozen pipe, and they will freeze their muscle, right? And it's a way to to hurt them and and to damage that muscle. Um, That is going to be a different kind of pain or injury than delayed onset muscle soreness or damage caused from exercise, right? And then also like 
the damage within the leg is going to be a little different than the damage within the tricep simply because of the size of the muscles that are being used for um, for whatever exercise we're, we're trying to uh, trying to simulate for there to be damage. Um, in the rat studies, there are a lot of positives, right? We have a decrease in um, uh, certain proteins that kind of help signify whether damage has been done. We have a decrease in the amount of time that a rat is injured. Uh, we have a, an increase in activity at a faster rate when you use infrared. So it's like, it looks like it's very promising, right? Um, but when you look at human studies, this is kind of where the lines start to blur a lot because if you go back and listen to an episode that I talked about um, on why your muscles get sore, um, we talked about how there are various processes and it's not necessarily just the muscle damage. It may be the cellular response or uh, certain inflammatory processes that help or not help, but that cause soreness um, immediately, 24 hours after, 48 hours after, um, and then anything past that, you know, might also be uh, neurological, may maybe from the muscle itself. But all that to say, infrared or PBM, we'll call it photo photobiomodulation, um, in some studies may show that there's a decrease in delayed onset muscle soreness. Awesome. But what do we mean by that? Well, maybe it's just a decrease in creatine kinase, um, which we kind of use to quantify the amount of damage, uh, but there's not a decrease or at least an increase in performance. It's like, yeah, maybe there's not as much damage that has occurred, but that didn't do anything from a performance standpoint um, or vice versa. Like, hey, the performance wasn't... Um, worse or maybe it got a little better but there's nothing on a cellular level that kind of tells us that this worked um on the same hand you can have a decrease in ck right and in damage but not in the fatigue index so maybe you like if you do a um an all-out jump or sprint or something something's gonna say like it's gonna act as a measure of power um, that may be fine, but the repetitive nature of maybe like repeated sprints or repeated jumps, right? You will have fatigue and maybe it won't help that. So yeah, you can jump once or twice after, but if you're using infrared to play a game the next day, um, maybe it's not going to help because, you know, in a game you're playing or doing repetitive tasks for um, 30, 60 two hours right um so just something to understand that as you start to if you ever start to read or start to hear people talk about it like doms delayed onset muscle soreness means a lot of things performance means a lot of things um and also like we always hear about how you want inflammation to be decreased and pbm um may help to decrease anti or it may help to decrease inflammatory processes. So it may act as an anti-inflammatory. But if we decrease that anti-inflammation, then some of the benefits that come with inflammation may be decreased. 
So maybe that means less muscle. Maybe that means less adaptation to uh, the stimulus that you have. These are all things that we kind of start to or should think about when we are looking at when it may be effective, what it affects, um, and how that may limit whatever goal I have at hand. So um, kind of just like with cold water therapy um, or sitting in an ice bath, right? We know that you may be less sore the next day, which is great if you're trying to play a game day after day after day. Um, but we also know that it's going to decrease your uh, muscle signaling. So you're going to lose out on some gains. So if you're trying to gain muscle, right, maybe not an appropriate time to use um, cold water or uh, ice baths. So this can kind of start to be thought of in that same vein of when is it appropriate. And then importantly, like all good things, right, um, there seems to be a biphasic dose response. And what this means is that if you have too little um, of the laser or the time that you are spent under uh, the laser infrared, then it's not going to do anything. But on the other hand, if you have too much time under it or too strong of a laser or light, then it can be damaging. So trying to find the sweet spot of what may be appropriate for you, um, you know, that's kind of where things get even murkier because it's not just, oh, does this work or does it not work? But it's, oh, how much time do I have to utilize it? What kind of light do I have to use? Um, so the problems essentially lie in what is the total power of the device? You know, um, what kind of device is it? Is it going to be low level light therapy? Is it going to be near infrared? Is it going to be light emitting diodes? Um, or is it going to be a single laser? Um, how much time should I spend irradiating myself with said laser? Um, because like I just said, too much time may be a negative. Uh, what is the total energy of the light delivered to the muscles? So maybe you have thicker skin or uh, I don't I don't even know if I haven't read. It, it's just something I thought about. But what if you have hairier skin or darker skin? Is that going to impede the ability for the light to permeate? Have no idea. Just something that popped in my head. Um, but the total energy of light delivered to the muscles is going to affect uh, its effectiveness, right? Um, the energy density and the power density of the actual laser as well. Like all of those things are going to play a role in whether it's appropriate or not, whether it's going to make a change uh, and whether, you know, you should kind of put it in your wheelhouse of, of recovery. Um, and I guess I should have prefaced this with uh, that specifically we're talking about like recovery after, you know, exercise, not necessarily like injury because that's, it's a bit of a different scope. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still kind of what we think of as recovery. Um, and then we think about the time. And by time, I mean, when is it most appropriate? Do we do it before the exercise to prime ourselves? Do we do it after to kind of start the healing process? Or do we do before and after? And maybe the thought is like, oh, of course, I want to do before so I can prime myself. And I want to do after so I can heal myself. But again, if we have too much time spent under light, then given the biphasic model, it is going to um, impede our ability to, you know, or potentially impede our ability to 
um, to not heal properly. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I thought about this topic because I think, well, I was flying back from Peru and I saw two Instagram posts. One was like, check it out. Uh, laser therapy or red light therapy has 300,000 studies. Um, and you can go into PubMed right now and type in like near infrared, infrared light, you know, lasers and 300,000 is just not correct. One, two, even if it was that much, right? We're talking about cell studies. We're talking about rat studies, which are all very important. I don't want to say that those aren't important, but again, how it relates to humans and then humans after, you know, maybe eight, 12 weeks uh, is going to change the conversation uh, as well. Um, so yeah, my, my final thoughts are, um, I don't think that it'll hurt you, but it may not help either. Um, just like with everything else, if you're asleep, nutrition, training, stress, uh, stress management, I guess, uh, hydration, if all that is dialed in, then like, yeah, this may be something that's going to move the needle in a pretty effective way. Um, and it also may be something you spend a crap ton of money on and, and it doesn't do anything for you, right? Um, but like other things, and this is not necessarily talking about being in a disease state, um, but if you are older um, or do have a lot of inflammation, right? There were a couple clinical trials that were done um, that looked at how that might affect the ability to train, the ability to heal. Um, and for older and uh, people who kind of are more, they live in a more diseased state or they're highly inflamed, there were like very strong benefits um, kind of across the board. So if you are older, right, it may be more appropriate. If you are generally like unhealthy or maybe don't have the best health practices, it may be something that can kickstart your ability to, to kind of start living a, a healthier life because, um, you know, you're using this extra tool to, to help bring it down. Um, but kind of within that same vein, right? And I think I've said within that same vein, maybe 40 times, uh, leave it in the comments uh, if you can count <laughs> that high. Um, things like infrared saunas uh, probably don't do anything. Um, and this is because I'm pretty sure that the light needs to be touching your skin, right? We just, I, I started the, the, the episode with like, the light has to be strong enough to permeate the skin, permeate the cell membrane, and then permeate and be strong enough to activate cytochrome C oxidase for these changes to occur. If you are just in a light in a room or a sauna filled with a bunch of infrared light, um, I don't think that that's strong enough. All of these studies were where the light was placed directly on the skin, directly on the muscle. Um, and that's also something that's super important, right? Like if you are not having something where you're placing it right over your legs or wherever you just trained or somewhere that's sore, then just shining an infrared light on, on your body right, is not going to, in my opinion, make really any sort of difference. So, um, yeah, I know I threw a lot out there. I know I kind of got nerdy. Uh, it's always fun to nerd out, especially, um, when we talk about the electron transfer chain and mitochondria and all those adaptations. But um, let me know if you have ever used red light therapy. Um, 
if you remember the kind of uh, light waves that, that you use or if it was low level light therapy, if it was near infrared, um, or maybe it was just a sauna and how that made you feel and if you've used it consistently. Um, and then also let me know if uh, an episode like this is is something you want to, uh, I mean, I'm going to keep doing it regardless, um, but something like this for me and Brooke is like, it's great um, if shorter ones like this are better and if there are other topics that you would like me or her to cover. But um, until then, I hope that this was a nice crash course, a nice snack time, um, nice informative talk on um, photobiomodulation or red light therapy. Um, and hopefully I can get uh, Dr. Magalhaes on here one day to, to talk real hardcore about this stuff, especially if um, our listeners like it. So um, yeah, enjoy. Thank you for listening to my little rant here. Uh, and this is my reminder for you to eat your snacks. All right. Peace out, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Health Unfiltered podcast. Make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, rate the podcast, and share this episode. Connect with me, Dr. Alzola, on Instagram at ROI Health. For more details on all things sports and human performance coaching, visit GetROIHealth.com. You can find me, Brooke West, on Instagram at westnutrition.co. For all the ways we can work together on nutrition and holistic health, visit westnutrition.co. Don't forget to send us your epic questions of the week on Instagram at healthunfilteredpod. Catch you next time.